Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Monday, March 29th, 2021. And I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we will be looking specifically at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And what we see through this word today is that the word of God is at work in his children, in the believer. Today, culture believes in relative truth, a truth that is real only in the eye of the beholder, and their frame of reference. Relative truth is used to justify actions and to avoid any accountability. We justify our actions by our feelings, and we pronounce relative truth claims built mostly for our comfort and our own justification. But 1 Thessalonians and the book of 1 Thessalonians was written to reassure followers of Christ of Christ's return while encouraging them to stand firm in the absolute, impenetrable truth of the Word of God. And today in our passage on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, Paul reminds the church at Thessalonica that the Word is at work in them. He encourages them to stand firm against affliction while continuing to hope in God's word and his triumphant return to restore all things to order. This is what the word of God says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. God's word is at work and is working in us today, just as it has worked in God's people since it was first spoken. As a ministry at Lifeline, we stand firm on the work of God's word because it is true, infallible, and complete. God's word is also final and not open to interpretations. God's word is not old and antiquated, but living and active. And so today I want us to see four ways that God's word is at work in us. Number one, we see that God is at work because God is speaking. God has spoken and he is speaking. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica in verse 13 that they received not the word of man, but the word of God. Twice in verse 13, he uses the direct reference word of God. He says this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God. This is not merely the word of man. Paul is speaking, but it is the word of God. God has spoken and is now speaking through Paul. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, we believe that the Bible is God's word and that it is truly breathed out by God for our good and his glory. And this belief that the Bible is God's word leads us to three responses. First, we believe that the Bible is God's word, and so we trust the Bible. We can trust the Bible. No book has been more scrutinized. No history has been more proven than God's word. No book has stood the test of time like the Bible. There has been no other book that has been divided over humanity over millennia. Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 18 through 25, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Bible is viewed as foolishness to those who are perishing, but we know that it is true and that we can trust it and stake our life on it. But the second response to our belief that the Bible is God's word is that we base our life on God's word. If the Bible is truly the revelation of God, then we must base our life and our very existence upon it. Recently, we got a dog during the quarantine, and this dog has, has created all manner of trouble. And so now 10 months into dog rearing, we finally purchased a training collar and the directions were small and hard to read. So I just tinkered with the collar for a while, trying to get it to come on. And as I was tinkering with the collar, I realized that you could use it to shock either a small dog, which our dog is very small, or a big dog. And it came abundantly clear to me and real to me that it might be best to read the instructions from the people who made the collar so I did not almost kill our dog by shocking it with a shock that was meant for a 200-pound dog. You see, God has written his word for us so that we can examine it and we can live by it. It's not just to be the thing that goes along with the box. It's not just the thing that's meant to go along with whatever else we're doing. No, it's meant to be lived out. It's meant to be read and it's meant to be pursued. Isaiah said this about God's word in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 10 through 13. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear, and the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they may go. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
Beloved, we base our lives on the Bible because it is the very word of God. The third response to our belief that the Bible is God's word is that we see God reveal himself through the Bible. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If we want to know the character of God, the nature of God, and the grandeur of God, we must scour the word of God. God has spoken. And this brings us to the second way we see God's word at work in us. God speaks through his people. You see, Christ appointed apostles who would be his authoritative spokesmen. He teaches and he guides and inspires them and a band of others close to them, and they speak his word on his behalf with his authority. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says this, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. God uses his people to impart his truth to the world. Practically speaking, we see that the Bible was written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were commissioned to write under divine inspiration, the Bible. And in turn, we now are commissioned to deliver the message of God found in Christ and the word to the nations into the world. Receiving God's word is not a passive pleasure, but a responsibility to impart the truth to our neighbors, the vulnerable child, the vulnerable woman, the vulnerable family, into the nations. So God has spoken. God speaks through his people. But third, the third way we see God at work in us, God changes us through his word. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word changes our desires, our passions, our pursuits, and our lives. When Philip preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he uses Isaiah 53 to show the prophetic teaching from God's word about Jesus. The Ethiopian asks Philip about the passage, and then Acts tells us that beginning with Isaiah 53, Philip told the man the good news about Jesus. After receiving the living and active word of God, the Ethiopian's the Ethiopian man's life is reoriented. Acts 8, 36-38 records, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The word of God being living and active 
changes us and reorients our lives. We see in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13-16, three ways that they receive this life-altering word. First, they receive the word as practical. Verse 13 says, The word of God which is at work in you believers. The word of God was practical and life-changing. The way you accept, welcome, and embrace the Bible as the word of God is the way you should includes accepting it and embracing it as precious, pleasant, and practical. More precious than gold, more pleasant than honey, practical enough to change your life. We need God's word and we need to memorize it, to pray over it, to obey it, and to preach it. The Bible received by Paul and the Thessalonians as practical And we must as well see it as practical if we want to see it change the lives of children and vulnerable families. The second way that they received this life-altering word is they received it with joy. Verse 13 begins with, we thank God constantly. There is great joy in receiving the word of God. They welcome the word of God as pleasant and it produced joy. The word is precious and pleasant. These two words remind us of what Psalm 19.10 says about God's word. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Gold is precious. Honey is pleasant. When we experience the word of God as more precious than gold and more pleasant than honey, we will have embraced the word of God the way we should. The word brings and elicits great joy as it ministers to our soul. The third way that we receive this life-altering word is that we receive the word even through affliction. Verses 14 through 15 says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased, displeased God and oppose all mankind. They received the word even though it meant much affliction. They welcomed the word as precious. To have it and believe it and trust in it was worth more than comfort and safety. It was a treasure. They accepted suffering rather than to give up. So the right way to accept the word of God is to accept it as precious, more precious than possessions and life. We were never promised prosperity or the lack of adversity in this life but we are promised endurance. Romans chapter five, verses three through five says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Beloved, God has spoken. God speaks through his people, and God changes us through his word. But that brings us to the fourth way we see God's word at work in us. And that is that God's word produces endurance amidst suffering. When we hold firm to the word of God, we can expect to suffer. Verse 14 reminds us that this suffering is not unique. However, we are tempted in very real ways. But yet the same word that we are being persecuted for will provide us the joyful endurance to persevere. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation 
has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in closing, we will be tempted and we will face affliction, but we must persevere. So four temptations that we will face when standing firm on the word of God. First temptation is the temptation of fear. God has called us to stand firm against opposition. But sometimes we are just afraid. We're afraid of people's opinions. We're afraid of going against the grain. We're afraid of being labeled. So what do we do? We admit honestly and humbly that we are afraid and we cannot do this by ourselves. We pray for God to grant us courage and that we wouldn't be ruled by fear. We ask him to take away our fear. Then we call to mind the the specific promise that Christ is guaranteed for us by his blood. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. We must trust this promise and act, believing that God, the Holy Spirit, is acting in us by his word through our faith. Oh, the second temptation that we will face when standing firm on the word of God is the temptation to compromise. Proverbs 24, verses 33 through 34 tells us a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 tells us a horrendous result of compromising. We all know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, but many times we disconnect it from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. There's a great moving of the Spirit. Acts records that, or Luke records in Acts that even it was such a a movement that even people were selling property that they had and giving all of its proceeds to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. Obviously, Ananias and Sapphira had gotten caught up in that, but not caught up in the spirit, but caught up in the emotion. And they had agreed to, to sell this piece of property and give all of the proceeds to the Lord. But then... After the sale, it obviously became too difficult. The cost became too high for them. And Acts records this for us. It says, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Beloved, compromise? Compromise is very costly. Ananias and Sapphira had promised the Lord that they would give the proceeds of the land following the movement of the Spirit. Yet when the cost seemed too steep, they compromised. Compromise will cost us our witness. Compromise will cost us the gospel. Compromise cannot come to our house. We cannot compromise on the Word of God. Beloved at Lifeline Children's Services, I can promise you this. We 
our team, our staff, and our supporters, we will not compromise on the Word of God. But the third temptation that we will face when standing firm on the Word of God is the temptation of turning away to the things of the world for fulfillment. The lure of the world and its faux pleasure and peace can be intoxicating. We trick ourselves into believing that the pleasure of this world can satisfy, although in reality, it leaves us empty and hollow. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Beloved, in this world, we will have trouble. But we must not look to the world, but to the one who reminds us to take heart because he has overcome the world. But the fourth temptation that we will face when standing firm on the word of God is the temptation of bitterness. When our faith is belittled, we tend to puff up in self-righteous pride and bitterness. We tend to want to lash back. We tend to want to label the world as completely lost and without hope. We tend to become bitter, thinking that this world is going in a direction that is sad, that is lonely, that is sinful. But instead of having empathy, instead of wanting to preach the gospel, many times our hearts just become bitter. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21 reminds us, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says this, When he, being Jesus, reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Beloved, God's word is at work in us. It is living and active. In this world, we will be tempted to walk away from God's infallible word. But we must persevere and not be hindered. So as in verse 14, that the nations might be saved. That is our aim. That is our goal. That is our mission. That through orphan care, adoption, foster care, caring for the vulnerable child and the vulnerable family, that the gospel may go forth to the nations. Because that's our aim. Because that's our mission. We will stand firm on the word of God. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today, we are praying for our Bridge Educational Services. We're praying for the Bridge Tutors, that they will build relationships with the students they meet with each day. We pray for the Bridge Families as they navigate their children's educational needs. And we pray for Camp Empower, that it will be filled with the families and children that God want to be a part of this camp and that the camp would reflect God's goodness to the campers. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for our team 
at Bridge Educational Services. We're grateful for the tutoring and the work that they do to help equip so many foster and adopted children and vulnerable children with the educational needs and skills and abilities that they have to be able to continue the work and to be able to 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 just be productive children and be productive uh, family members. God, I pray that you would be with our tutors, that you would go before them, that you would help them build meaningful, valuable relationships with the students that they have. God, we pray for these students that this tutoring would be helpful for them in their education journey. And Lord, that even as this education is useful, that you would use this tutoring, not just for their educational purposes, but to thrust them to you and to their families. Lord, we pray for these families as they navigate their child's educational needs. God, would you give these families wisdom? Would you give them understanding? Lord, we pray for Camp Empower that will happen this summer, Lord willing. We pray that you would help the right families and children that need to be a part to find the camp and to be a part of that camp. And I pray that through this camp, Many kids' lives would be changed for the hope of the gospel and for Jesus. Lord God, we're grateful for this opportunity to be able to participate in Camp Empower and all that it means and pray that you would use it for your glory, for your good, and for your gospel. We ask all these things in your precious name, the name of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.